taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Great to be with you. It's always an honor to be in church. Uh, We are in the middle of a sermon series called Just Jesus. If you haven't figured that out yet, that's why there's a big Just Jesus behind me on the screen. If you haven't been here for the last few weeks, uh, two weeks ago we started a sermon series uh, with the basis, with the foundation of really two statements. First statement is this. Greatest tragedy in the world today is somebody living and dying without Jesus. That's the first thing I wanted to teach you. The greatest tragedy in our world today, right now, facing people, everybody, is somebody who lives and somebody who dies without Jesus. So here's what I did. I wanted to teach you why that is true. I gave you three points a few weeks ago, and I want to kind of go over them again so you understand it. First truth for everyone is sin. Uh, Everyone sins. That's the first one. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone has sin. Second truth, sin separates us from God both now and forever. And the, the, the third truth is the only way to be reconciled to God and have your sins forgiven is through Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. That's why we do everything that, that we do. And so I shared that truth with you a few weeks ago. And then I gave you another truth. So the greatest tragedy, somebody living and dying without Jesus. The second greatest tragedy, something that really disturbs me, is we live in a church culture where people don't share their faith. So you have this church culture where people are not talking to other people outside the church about Jesus, sharing the, the truth. Everyone's sin. Everyone is separated from God because of their sin. The only way back to God is through Jesus Christ, where that used to be kind of common. Now we've kind of forgot that. And to me, that's just as big of a tragedy as somebody living and dying without Christ. The church being given this message and not sharing it with other people. I'll give it to you like this. Today I went to Dunkin' Donuts. What is the one thing that Dunkin' Donuts should have 100% of the time? Everybody tell me. Donuts. Donuts. Some of you said coffee. Coffee second. It's in its name. It's not Dunkin' Coffee, right? That's not what it's called. It's called Dunkin' Donuts. So you assume when I pull up to Dunkin' Donuts, no matter if it's late at night, no matter if it's early in the morning, no matter what time it is, if they're open 24 hours a day, 24 hours every day of every time they're open should have donuts at it. So we all are clear Dunkin' Donuts should have donuts, right? So I pulled up there today. We go every Sunday to Dunkin' Donuts. My kids get up with me. We come here at 545, and so we usually get to there about 530. Every Sunday we go through, every Sunday we have the same orders. I get a coffee, tall coffee. Uh, black with cream. Leah gets a decaf coffee with cream and pumpkin, right? Because she's a girl. And so like all that stuff. Uh, then, then my boys typically get a croissant with cheese or something like that. And then we order donuts. And so one of them wanted a sour cream donut. One of them wanted a pumpkin donut. And I said, one more thing. Uh, I want some donuts. I'm at Dunkin' Donuts. It's just kind of common. And he said, we don't have any donuts. I said, come again? He said, yeah, we haven't got them delivered yet. There's usually here at three. Uh, it's 5.45 or whatever it is, 5.30. We haven't gotten yet. We have no, I'm like, you have no donuts. Like you have zero, you don't even have old-fashioned donuts, the donuts nobody wants. He said, we have zero donuts. I pulled away and I laughed and I said, you better turn the sign off. You cannot call yourself Dunkin' Donuts and not serve donuts. Here's the thing though, we do this in the church world all the time. We call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. We don't share our faith. We, we just don't. Like, we, we call ourselves, fo- we, I'm following Christ. We don't do the one thing he told us to do. So I wanted to teach you this kind of how to share your faith. 
Because I think a lot of us don't do it because we're afraid, we're intimidated, we don't think we have the right answers. And I want to show you over the next few weeks that it's very normal to share your faith. So what did we do last week? I said, well, here's what it is. Let me redefine what sharing your faith is. Sharing your faith is sharing something you love with someone you love. It's something you love. You love Jesus. He's changed your life. You share that. That's why I don't like door-to-door. That's why I don't like street corner. That's why I don't like standing on a box somewhere. That's why I don't like sending stuff to people's houses. That's why I don't like even witnessing oftentimes to people I don't know because they're not somebody that I technically love. I want to share something I love with somebody that I love. Why? Because that love earns me a platform and a voice in their life. The other ways, though, they're truth, uh, truthful are not very effective. And so I want to teach you not only to be excellent in sharing your faith, but I want to show you and teach you how to be effective. Sharing something you love with someone you love in an understandable way puts up and is okay with disbelief and cynicism. And here's the best part about it. You just let Jesus do the heavy lifting. I'm not going to save anybody here today through my words. You're not going to save anybody through your, your theology. Jesus saves people. You introduce them to Jesus and you get out of the way and you let Jesus do what only Jesus could do. That's what it is. Today I want to talk to you about where. Where do you share your faith and I want to kind of take you through into a story with Jesus. Here's what I, what I know. I need to teach you that there's opportunities out there to share your faith, and that needs to be recognized. Opportunity always has to be recognized, or you'll never take, it, take advantage of it. Let me kind of play this out for you, how this happened in my life this week. And so as a pastor, uh, we get to do some very particular things. Spe- like I would call them special things, as any of you in different lines of work get to do. There's things that you do that are very specific to your job. One of the things that we do as pastors, we preach or whatever, but we, 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 we marry people and we have an opportunity to be around people who are also taking their last breath on this earth. And it's one of those, those parts of the job that's sometimes difficult, but also sometimes is, is, is very rewarding. It's very kind of not exciting because you're watching somebody die, but there's, there's an opportunity there. So this week that happened for me on Monday. I got a call and uh, somebody's father in this church, so they go here, and their kids go here. Their kids been here for about a decade, so their kids, their parents now come here. The the their their dad was on his last on his last leg. He was he had cancer. He was in hospice. He was in his house in a bed in the middle of the living room, and he was taking his last breath. They didn't know when he was gonna pass away, uh, but it looked like it was a matter of time. And they said, "Can you come to Boyertown? And can you can you can you pray for us?" And I said, "Of course." So I got in my car, drove down, and I walked in. And uh, I'm not going to act like it's an exciting environment. You have, you have a, a father uh, that's getting ready to take his last breath. You have his three grown boys. You have their, some of their kids there. You have grandbabies there. You have, you have his wife. They've been married for I don't know how many years. You have this kind of, this whole thing going on. And I walk in and I prayed with them. And, and, and as I'm sitting there and, you know, you're, you're, you're talking and you're reminiscing about stuff and looking at pictures, there was this one moment where it was lunchtime. And so uh, they have a finished basement. Some of the family went down to quickly grab a, grab a bite to eat. A lot of them haven't eaten. And so it was me and the, the hospice care nurse, nurse person. She was from our church as well. And then it was the, the father. He was struggling to breathe, and his body was shutting down. And then on the, on the couch right beside me was a little baby, not even a year, I think four, five, six month old, a little girl that was the great-grandbaby of this gentleman. And so you have, it was this kind of surreal moment, your circle of life. You have uh, this older guy, he's 90 or something like that, 89. He's getting ready to pass on to his next life, which, by the way, he knew Christ. And so he was going to be fully healed in moments and with Jesus. And so it, was, it, wasn't a, it was a sad time. It was a time that full of hope. And, and I, then I sat and looked at this little, this, little, this little baby. You ever watch a baby sleep? Her arms were up. She was snoring. He was kind of snoring, but not really. His body was like shutting down. And I just thought to myself, like, 
she's never going to know him. Like she's not even, she's going to know pictures of him, which is kind of sad, but it's also really neat that the life that she's going to live is going to be impacted by the legacy that, that he set. And I thought to myself, what, what an opportunity it is, because then I because he had three boys that were there that were kind of in the house around his bedside looking at pictures, and I have three boys. And I started thinking to myself, after all of your, your life, all that you do, this is the end. The end is you, you lay in a bed or however it goes, you take your last breath, and you're surrounded by your loved ones and the people you've impacted. And I, I thought to myself, man, I should reevaluate. This is the opportunity for me to reevaluate a lot of areas of my life and keep this, this thought with me because this is the end of this life on, on this earth. So for, for me, some of you say that's a really sad moment. It was, but it was also when I texted him later on, I said, hey, thank you for the honor of being there for the last moments of your, of your father's, father's life because it was such a privilege and it created such an opportunity for me to go, man, I need to be aware of, of my life and what I'm doing. And I want to teach you that because a lot of you, you don't realize opportunities that God has brought your way. And so there's a, there's a term that I've, that I've coined that I want to teach you. It's called opportunal living. And really what you're doing in opportunal living is you're answering two questions with every person you come into contact with. Because the Bible teaches us that God is an exact place, exact moment, exact time, exact person type of God. That he puts you in exact moments, at exact places, at exact times, around exact people. That, that's how he works. That he is working stuff out like that. He's intersecting, crossing your path. That's the way he works. So I want you to look at your life. The people you work with, the family you have, the, the people that wait on you, the people that you go to Wegmans, wherever you shop, that you interact with, the people that you're kind of rubbing shoulders with, they're, they're there for, for a reason. And opportunal opportune living looks like this. You go, hey, do these people that I know, that I am with, my family members, do they know Jesus without a shadow of a doubt? That's the first thing that as somebody who's trying to live with opportunity asks themselves. Do they know Jesus without a shadow of a doubt? Are they, if they take their last breath, like that gentleman, is their next breath going to be with, with Jesus in heaven? And if they don't, am I the person who's supposed to tell them about Jesus and lead them to him? And here's the thing. If they don't know Jesus, the answer to the second question is, a, is the high likelihood of yes. That God has put you in these moments in time to make an impact in their lives. And so I want to show you this in, in Scripture. I want you to reevaluate and look at your life through a story of Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. I want you to think about this. He lived on this earth 33 years. 33 years. We only know about the last three. We have very little snippets of the first, the first 30. We know he got lost at church one time. Uh, we don't know what else he did, though. We don't know if he was, like, making, you know, walking on the bathtub water, and his mom was like, Jesus, stop that. We don't know what he did. Could you imagine raising Jesus, though? I mean, he, he, we don't know if he was pranking Mary. We don't, we don't know what, what, what was going on. We don't know if he was passing through walls. He was, Jesus was the champion at hide and seek, right? Like, he, he, we don't know a lot about Jesus what, when he was a young man. We do know what happened from 30 to 33 because he changed the world forever in three years. But he also knew his time was short. You can see that if you read scripture, you can see in his talk that he knew, I'm here for a reason, my time is short, I'm on a mission. You, you can see that in his life. So here's the thing about Jesus that we should realize. Every moment of his, his life, he, he, is, he, is, he is very taking that into account. He knows his time is, is short. I often think if we understood that concept of life, how much more effective would we be at, at sharing our faith? How much more purpose would we live with? And so in Jesus' life, because he knows his time is short, anything that happens isn't happening by accident. 
It's not like just a, a chance occurrence. He's an exact moment, exact time, exact person, exact moment t- type of God. And so what I want to do is I want to drop you into John chapter 5, and I want to show you an interaction between Jesus because he was an opportunistic person. This is, this, is, this is Jesus we're talking about. His time is short. John chapter 5, verse number 1 says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem to one of the Jewish festivals. So he's doing what every Jewish person did. He's going to, to a festival. He, they, they had Parties and festivals at certain times of the year, very similar to us, New Year's Eve, Thanksgiving, Memorial Day, Labor Day, all those things. So they have very similar stuff. Now they're in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was a pool. So most of their festivals were in Jerusalem. It was their capital. It was where they went. It's where the temple was. So he he was in his Sheep Gate uh, in in a pool. He said, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonies. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So, so it's this place people come to be here. Can you take that down for one second? Let me kind of explain to you the this, this situation, the context. So uh, these were very religious people, also had a lot of myths, right? And they were desperate. They couldn't walk. Uh, they couldn't talk, a lot of them. They couldn't see. And there was this pool in Jerusalem uh, where many people believe falsely the waters could heal you. And so there was actually two pools, if you study this in history, and they, they, they have figured out that there was this pipe that passed through so that water could pass back and forth to these two pools. And every once in a while, the current of the water would push down, and it would pass through, and the, the pipe would make the water bubble. So people for many years thought when the water bubbled, an angel of God was stirring the waters, and the first person to get in would get healed. So what they did... For all these years, every day, no matter what, this was their full-time job, they waited by this pool and waited for the water to bubble. And when it bubbled, they would race to get in the pool. So this dude can't walk. So if he doesn't have somebody to carry him, is he ever going to get in the pool? Which, by the way, it's not really a healing pool anyways. So he's there, 38 years, over and over And over again, the Bible says there, a great number of people. He says, one who had been there for 38 years in verse number five. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I think Jesus asks us that sometimes. You keep going to the same pools, waiting for the same things, looking for the same things. Do you even want to get well, bro? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, you can see him. He's pushing himself with his arms. Someone else goes on ahead of me. Jesus replied, get up, get, get, get up. I don't know what else happened in this moment, but I don't know. I mean, he, he just told the guy to get up. I don't know what, what the guy's feeling. The Bible says that he says, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man gets up, was cured. He picks up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, which, which if, you're, if you're not a church person, a Bible person, was a no-no. You didn't heal people on the Sabbath. You did church on the Sabbath. Nothing good happened on the Sabbath. It was God's day. You didn't, you didn't help people on Sabbath. You didn't rescue people on the Sabbath. You didn't do these things. This is church people at their finest. You did God things on the Sabbath. You aren't meant to go be kind. You aren't meant to share your faith. God, God's day is about God. He wants you to come here, sing a couple songs, keep them happy, you know, sit down, stand up a couple times. That's between you and God. It has nothing to do with, with the world, which is not biblical at all, by the way. There's a difference between religion and Jesus. And you're going to see that right, he, right here. The Bible says, at once the man picked up his walk. He got healed on the Sabbath. Verse 10, it says, so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, is it the Sabbath? The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to pick up your mat and walk. At some, time, at some point in your life, religion and Jesus are going to butt heads. At that some point, you're going, you're going to figure, figure that out. So ask him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat? And the man who, who, who was healed 
had no idea who it was. He says, for, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd, and he wasn't there anymore. I don't know who this guy is. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, it says, and said to him, so you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well, thus the reason that eventually they wanted to kill him. He was breaking their laws. But there's something here we should recognize. I want to show you this because he's living normal life. He's going to a festival like normal people. He's in the middle of normal. You're going to work nine to five. You're going to school. You're going to interact with your family. How do you expect me in my week to have time to share my faith in a deep discussion? I can barely get up in time to get dunk donuts in the morning. They don't even have donuts. Like I'm, I'm, I'm balancing books. And, 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 and I'm, I'm taking care of customers who are mad, and I'm teaching seven-year-olds, and I'm dealing with their parents who messed them up and expect me to fix them, and all these other things, and I'm coaching, and my kids are here. How do you expect me to share my faith? I don't have any time. I barely made it here today. So Jesus lives 33 years, three years. This is all he has to change the world. He's going to show us how you do it in the middle of, of life. Number one is this, three truths, taking advantage of opportunities. One you got to be aware. you, you got to be aware. Would you agree with me? We live in a very unaware society. How many of you have driven around in that metal thing with glass all around it and at some point done something and been caught doing it and been like, I wasn't even aware they could see me, even though I'm behind a glass box, right? You ever pick your nose in your car? Come on. Everybody picks their nose in their car. Everybody can see you. Everybody can see. You ever sing? Like you just turn music on, you just lose yourself in it, and you just sing. If you're married, have you ever had a fight with your Bluetooth, right? With your spouse through it, you're yelling at them and doing all this stuff and shaking your head like that. You ever fight, see somebody doing that? You're like, they're fighting. This is funny. Look, we're, we're unaware. We do a lot of things. We're unaware. My, my kids, man, they, they, the thing that I pray for them and the thing that I work on them the most is for them to be aware. You ever take your kids into the grocery store? In the grocery store, how wide is the aisle? It's wide enough for somebody to pass. It's like driving. It's preparation for driving, right? We live in America. You drive on the one side of the road, not England, right? Like you are supposed to be on one side. You ever take your kids into a, into a grocery store or something like that? Do they ever stay on the right side of the road? No, I think because they're spinning and they're hitting each other. And I'm like, dude, and somebody comes walking in and they're like, mm, 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 mm. and my kids don't care. And I'm like, be aware. You're not the only person in the world. The world does not revolve. You ever have a conversation with your kids and you can tell that they don't even know what you're talking about? What do you mean the world doesn't revolve around me? What do you mean be aware, right? You ever take your kids into a, into a parking lot? They just run. They just run. Kids will just run. Like they, just, they don't even care. A car is pulling back. The lights, the backup lights are on. I'm like, these are backup lights. This means they're going to run you over. They're just oblivious. They're not aware. And it continues all the way into our adulthood. It continues into our life as a follower of Christ. We, we are just not aware of things. We, we kind of have our own agenda. We're busy. We're overburdened. We have schedules. And we are not aware. And in this story, Jesus has a schedule. He's going to a festival. They don't even know. But more than likely, he's going to a festival where they are celebrating him. They just don't know it's him yet. I mean, he has important stuff to do. He has three years. 
three years to change the world. He doesn't have time to go deal with disabled people in this moment. He has a festival to go to, and the Bible says in the middle of it. I don't even know what's going on, but somehow he takes a detour, and he ends up being at a place where people need to be healed because he's aware. Here's the thing. Many people pass by that on the way to the festival, but for some reason, it catches Jesus' attention. For some reason, he, he, he stops. He, he, he's aware. You see, awareness changes, changes you. Have you ever found something in, in your yard that like wrecks you? But a few, few, few months back, it was the beginning of spring, and I was out in the backyard, and it was just thawing, getting warm enough to do stuff in the backyard. So we were out throwing a football, and my, my son threw a football, and it went kind of away, away from me, and, and it went in between our, our, our vegetable beds that we have that were put there before we moved there that we've never used that grow weeds, and so that are kind of a source of, of, of argument in my house because I just want to take them down because we are never going to grow uh, that stuff at our house because we go to Audis, and so we'll let somebody else grow for us, a produce junction, but my wife says we're going to grow. We've been living there three years. We grow weeds, not weed, weeds, right? And so make sure you hear me right, just weeds, right? And so they grow, and so I have to... I have to weed whack and I got to do all, all I just don't want you to go home and say pastor grows weed I don't grow weed I grow weeds in there and so so I'm we're weed whacking in there and so I, I hate these beds they're in the way I can't take my mower through there I gotta you know how stuff is like your wife wants to put stuff in your yard you're going all around messing up my lines and so it was it was early spring and uh, the ball went in there, and I went in to get the ball, and I went to pick it up. I went to pick the ball up, pick the ball up. And for the very first time in my life, I saw a real live in the, in the wilderness snake underneath it. Like, it was like this big. But it, it's, listen, terrifying. I scrapped, picked it up. I screamed, dropped the ball. Like, what? I'm like, it's a snake. Right? I took pictures of it. I zoomed way, way in, sent it around. Look at this snake. Is this thing poisonous? I got my shovel. I went over there and I stabbed that snake. I know some of you are saying, how could you kill that snake? Because listen, read Genesis. In Genesis, the Bible says Satan came as a snake. Snakes are Satan. And so I chopped that snake up and I got rid of it. And here's the thing. For all summer, I, 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 like anytime I went back there, I had this awareness about that area. The first awareness was me yelling at my wife for making me keep these beds where we don't grow anything. The second one was, is, is there going to be a snake? And I walked differently. I would like kick the weeds back and weed whack a little bit and <laughs> make my kids go check it out first, stuff like that. <laughs> awareness changes you. There, there's this awareness to, to Jesus. And I, I think it's really neat because a lot of times in our church where we have this, I'm too busy. And really the only time I can share my faith is if I can get away for a week. I call it the missions trip mindset, Christian. Like you have these people, they, they live in a mission field. You were nine out of ten people in your work don't know Jesus and your family members don't know Jesus and people are desperate for the truth and they're cutting themselves and they're addicted to pills and their marriages are falling apart and they're going to bars and Tinder, everyone else looking for relationships, hoping it'll fulfill them and they're insecure and all this stuff and you have this mission field where Jesus has changed you and he sent you but because you're so busy, you're unaware of all this is going around you and you can't be aware unless you go somewhere that you don't live and you go, okay, now I'm on focus for a week. For a week, I'll build houses, and I'll feed the poor, and I'll do this. I'll do that, but bring me back to America or my normal everyday life, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to function, and you'll see in Jesus' life, he never traveled that far. He never went out of the country to change the world, which is a whole other sermon. Somehow a guy that lived three years, thousands of years ago, that was crucified on a cross, just like hundreds of thousands of other people, somehow we're still talking about him today. Another sermon, though. Wait for Easter. And here, here's Jesus in the everyday life. And the Bible says in the moment he's traveling and he is aware, he sees this, this, this man. 
And the Bible says he stops. I don't even, I mean, I can't, they don't, it doesn't tell you how the, how the disciples acted, but I guarantee you knowing the disciples, they were like, what are you doing, man? We got places to be. We got a festival to go to. We got a table, party of 12. Like, we got stuff to do. You got babies to kiss. You got miracles to do. And you're stopping at a pool with a bunch of disabled people that wait to get healed at a fake place. We're wasting our time here. And he is aware. He lives in what I would call normal, everyday life. And I love it that he stops there because the Bible says Bethesda, if you study it, it actually means house of mercy. These people were looking for mercies. And I think to myself, in my life, in my normal, everyday life, I have houses of mercy all over me. My workplace as a teacher, as a, as a business owner, that's a house of mercy. My neighborhood, that becomes my house of mercy. I get a chance to, to meet people in my normal, everyday life. Their normal, everyday life, where I go eat, where I get my hair cut, where I shop for groceries, where I shop for clothes, the places that I go to over and over and over again. Those are my houses of, of, of mercy. The question is, am I aware of all of the people around me that, that, need, that need to hear about and know about Jesus Christ? So number one, you're going to live with outside eyes. This is what we talk about in church. I don't know if you've ever heard that as a team member, and maybe you're not a team member now, but we said we need outside eyes. We look outside of ourselves. We don't spend time in our own head looking at ourselves. We live outside us. Number two is this. After you're aware, you're going to be intentional. You're, you're going to be I- intentional. You know, there's some hot button words that are floating around our, our country right now. One of them is mindfulness. You ever hear that? It's this like new thing, this mindfulness. In fact, my, t- my son is in kindergarten, and my wife had to go to back to school night the other week so they could tell, they could talk about, you know, what they're going to learn and stuff like that. I didn't have to go because I had soccer practice. It was one of the times I was thankful, right? And so I had soccer practice, so she went hear about what, they, what he's learning in kindergarten and all this stuff. And I, honestly, for me, like, I, I love that they, they teach him. I love knowing what they're learning. I just love they take him for eight hours. Like, you take my, my six-year-old for eight hours, you deserve to become a saint, right? Like that. And so his teacher is amazing. And, and then my wife was saying, you know, they're learning this and doing this. And there's some really intense parents in the room. They want to know how much of this is happening, how much of that is happening. And we're going, man, we're just happy you can say your ABCs, right? Like, we're cool with that. And so, like, all of this is going on. And she, and she said, after 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 recess, they're kind of crazy. And so we come in and we do this mindfulness thing. And so we come in and we, we, we have them breathe and like all this stuff. And I'm laughing. I'm like, this is, this, this is awesome. And so they do this mindfulness thing. And she's explaining it to me. Whether you, you, you agree with it or believe it or not, I don't. I think it's silly. Like I think mindfulness for my son is you threaten him. If you keep doing this, your dad's going to whoop your butt. That's the mindfulness that I learned. <laughs> Like we're gonna, and so I, I know the word, I get it. May, may, like I would say the Bible talks about renewing your mind with the truth of Christ. So when you think of mindfulness, it's not coming from you. It's actually coming from the word of God and the truth of God and the presence of God. So anything you're doing outside of that, you should be careful with because you might be inviting something you don't want in your life. But I thought to myself, sometimes like they're doing these minds, breathing and all this stuff. And I pictured myself because there's times with, I'm with my kids, I'm like, hey, we need to pray before we eat. We need to, we need, we need to pray and let, let, let the world know we're thankful for, for our stuff. And sometimes I'm kind of embarrassed because like, people are watching and I'm like, I don't want to make a spectacle. And my kids are like, do we have to pray and stuff like that? And can't we just pray silently? And I'm like, no, we're going to pray. We're making a stand. And in my head, I'm like, this is kind of embarrassing. And I think everybody else is doing mindfulness exercises. What am I embarrassed about? Like, I can pray as loud as I want. You're talking to yourself. That's even weirder. <laughs> I mean, at least I'm talking to the living, one true living God. And so that's kind of where I landed. So I'm going to teach you another word because there's always hot button words, hot topic words, mindfulness. Forget that for a second. I just led all that to teach you. Intentionality. Be in, if you're not intentional, you will lose everything. 
You're not intentional with your music. You're not intentional with your marriage. You're not intentional with, with your kids. I'm going to tell you right now, I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 6-year-old, and everybody told me when I had little kids, you better enjoy it because it's going to go fast. Yesterday, I saw a couple that was in my church about uh, the last decade that had a 7-year-old that now she's getting ready to go to New York to college, and they were tearing up. I was tearing up. I'm like, this stinks. They go so fast. We're growing up. Carter's going to college next year. He's in sixth grade next year. He's going to be married, right? If you're not intentional with your time, you'll lose that. Same principle when it comes to sharing your faith with Christ. You have to be intentional. And so the Bible says that he walks by this man. He doesn't just notice him. The Bible says these really good words. The Bible says he learns that the man's been sitting there for 38 years. Sometimes you got to do a little practical digging in, in the scriptures. If not, because it's not a video, you don't see it. Do you think he walked by and was like, hey, man, hey, I've been sitting here for 38 years, Jesus. Cool, get up, and just kept walking. What do you think happened? I think Jesus, and I've, I've told you this before about this, so I, think he, I think he sat down beside him, or got real close, got down, and he said, hey, man, tell me, what's your name? Tell me your story. Where have you been? And the Bible says he learns that this guy has been here for 38 years. It's a very intentional thing. It's, it's not in a hurry. In fact, Jesus does something that I think enough, uh, not, not, not enough Christians do, which is why I think a lot of us never lead anybody to Jesus. He does this thing. You ready for it? He, he listens. You notice in this series, I haven't taught you how to defend your faith. You notice in this series, I haven't given you deep theological arguments to win somebody to Jesus. You notice that I haven't said, Let's, I'm going to teach you five things that, that disprove what they say and prove that God is real. You'll notice in this, I'm, I'm teaching you something very practical. I'm teaching you be intentional and like Jesus to, to listen, to not be just good at talking, to not be just good at answering, to not be just good at, at arguing. That the Bible actually says that it's the kindness of God that leads people to, to repentance, that it's, it's this type of spirit that welcomes people in this, this love that scripture talks about. And I believe it starts with not speaking but with listening. So the Bible implies that he gets down and he listens to the man, that he does exactly what James 1 says, where it says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. If you're married, write this down. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. If you want to share your faith with people, you're going to be quick to listen, slow. You might not even talk the first conversation and you're not going to become angry. Why? Because here's some truths about listening. One is most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. You're not listening to understand. You're listening because you want to be heard. Listening is an attitude of the heart, I've realized in my life, a genuine desire to be with another with both attracts and heals. And here's the main thing I've learned through listening, and really I've experienced this as a, as a parent. This one's really important, though. Uh, being heard is so close to being loved that the, for the average person, they're almost the same thing. I know this with my middle son. If you're a middle, middle child, I, I, I feel sorry for you. It's hard. I'm not even playing. Like, I, I'm not the middle child. I'm the first, and so I, I don't really get it. And I had a younger brother, so I understand how annoying the youngest, youngest ones are. And, and I understand the whole kind of parenting thing because the older ones are like, you're easier on the younger ones. And, and then as a parent, you start to realize, I'm not, I'm not easier. I'm just tired. <laughs> like, I'm just happy he's alive still, right? Like, that's just where I'm at. But the middle one is hard because the middle one, it's like, I'm not the first. I never had you by myself. I'm not the last. You know, they've all kind of, so I, the last one, like for me in my house, the last one's just different. They just assume that you want them around all the time. So like Harrison just come plop himself in the middle of me and Leah at any time. Like you don't even have to be invited. Carter just, he'll talk to a wall. He doesn't care. He just talks and assumes. But Lincoln a lot of times is super quiet. 
And then a lot of times he'll, he'll be like doing annoying things. You ever have a kid who'll just be like banging something or like one of my rules in my house is, listen, don't take a knife and stab my table with it. Just, just don't do it. So we're on our third table in, in the years that I've had, I've had my boys. And we just, we got this table off of Facebook Marketplace. I got a white table from Ikea. I know it's crazy. And there's a little couple little nicks in it and it's not real wood. And so I'm like, hey, listen, don't take your fork or your knife and stab the table. Don't tap it. Don't even look at this table. Just eat on it. Just keep your eyes closed. And so I'll come in and he'll just be hitting it. And like, I'm like, what? I'll be like, what? Why are you doing that? And the thing is, because he wants to be, he wants to be heard. That, that's, that's what he wants. He's never going to ask because he's the middle child, so he, he's kind of, he, he's in the middle, so he's never going to ask. So what I realize if I come to him and I say, by himself, I say, hey, Lincoln, you know, tell me about, about your day. And I've said before, he's just not a talker. Oh, he is a talker. He's just not going to fight for that. He wants somebody to listen to him because to him, that means he's loved. So like, for instance, this week I said, hey, man, how's school going? And it was a three-hour conversation about crayfish. I wanted to, I literally, I was like, God raptured all of us right now. Are you saved? <laughs> We're talking about crayfish. We got these crayfish. They're coming. They're going to grow. They're going to do this. We're going to get these crayfish again. Dad, you know, we just told you about these crayfish. I was like, I know about the crayfish. And it's because to him, when you listen to him, it means you love him. And the same, when you, when you get to a coworker and you stop what you're doing in your busy day and you listen to them, you ask them questions, that, that, they equate that with loving. When you do that in your classroom, when you do that with your family members, when, you, when you're listening not to argue and reply, you're just listening. This is Jesus. He just listens to this man tell his story. He's been there for 38 years. He's intentional with this, right? He's aware. And not number three, here's the most important one. This one is so significant. It's going to blow your mind how important it is, how deep it is. You got to be kind. I mean, isn't that deep? Isn't it amazing that if you ask people, hey, Give me some descriptions about Christians. Very rarely does the word kind come out of their mouth. Christians are so kind, which, by the way, that's like Jesus. Like, he, he is kind to this guy. Ch- check it out. The Bible says he comes to him and says, you want to get well? He's asking him a question. Very frankly, you've been sitting for 38 years. I'm Jesus. Do you want to get well? Here's what the guy says. He says, I would get well, but I got nobody to put me in this water over here. In this moment, if Jesus is like many of us, what's he doing? You're an idiot, man. You're such an idiot. You want to get in this pool with, with bubbling water? I'm pretty sure Sally did that. Like, this is nothing here. You've been watching people, your boys and your, and, your, and your friends, get in this water for years, and nobody's getting healed. And you think if you could just get in, that's your problem? You're such an idiot. You're so stupid. And we do this a lot of times with people. I know it's a struggle sometimes. Sometimes I think this kind of thing. It's really wrong with me. I'm like, why do you keep doing the same things you're doing? You tell me. You keep dating the same people, going to the same places, expecting the same results. That is insanity. And that's not how Jesus acted. 38 years. 38 years. He just looks at him and says, you want, to get, you want to get well? The guy gives his explanation. He says, listen, let's not. Just pick up your mat and walk. Now, I don't know what else happened. I don't know if there was a, another conversation. I have to assume there is. I have to assume he listened a little bit and said, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up your mat and walk. One moment with me is better than 38 years at this pool. I can do more in this moment if you listen to me than you will ever be able to do in that water. It's time for you to stop crawling to that water with your arms. It's time for you to start walking. I got a bigger and better plan for your life. And somehow the man in that moment, the Bible says, picks up his mat and he walks. And then he carries it around to show people. So what are you doing? I'm carrying my mat. 
Why are you holding it? It's the Sabbath. I want everybody to know I've been healed. And it comes from this, this deep-rooted kindness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't jump. It's that same kindness that, that God gives us. The Bible says he doesn't, he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't yell at us. He's not disgusted by us. He's not distant from us. He might be disappointed in us sometimes, going, hey, I have better for you. That's conviction. But he is never far from us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And here Jesus is. He, he's kind. And here, here's my question. Are you? C- kindness has an amazing way of opening up doors for people. It, 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 it oftentimes will, will break somebody's heart and heart. People have hardened hearts towards God and church. And it's kindness that, that breaks that. In fact, some years ago, I met this girl at church. I said, how'd you get to church? It's one of the questions I always ask. Where are you from? Tell me your story. Here's what I love hearing. Oh, somebody from your church invited me. I love that. I, I, I'm like, this is, that's what it's all about. One person loving somebody enough, tell them where, 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 where to find hope. So I, I said, how'd you get to church? She said, oh, she said, I'm a waitress at P.F. Chang's. And she said, a couple from your church came in there and waited. I waited on them. They were eating. And they're busy on a date, whatever, eating their meal, paying me. And I don't know if they noticed what was going on, but they were, I was having a bad day. And they were aware of it. Not because I told them, but because they were aware of it. So they, they asked me through intentionality because they, they, they asked themselves, this opportunity, did God put me here? We don't know without a shadow of a doubt if this girl knows Jesus. We are the people set in her path. This is our opportunity. So they said, hey, what's going on? I told them what was going on, how my struggles, I think she was a single mom, had some kids, going through some relational stuff. And they said this to her. They said, they said you should come to our church tomorrow. And they handed me an invite card, and they walked out. So here I am. And I was like, simple as that. I said, did they tip you? She said, oh, they always tip me. This is, they've waited on me a few other, I've waited on them, they always tip me. I said, thank you. Because by the way, if you ever give a Journey Church card and you don't tip at least 25, 30%, do not give a Journey Church card. Let me just get on my soapbox. If you drive with a Journey Church sticker on your car and you're cutting people off, or you are fully capable of walking and you take the front, the front parking spot and think it's the will of God for you, it's not the will of God, it's exercise, brother. Park a little farther back. Watch what you say on your social media. Be kind in all circumstances. Now, I'm not sure exactly what happened here, but I remember thinking to myself, it is as simple as that. There was no theological discussion. There was simply care. There was simply an awareness. There was living with intentionality. And then there was kindness attached to it. And I'm not sure what she experienced, if her life was changed, if the seed was planted. I'm not sure what happened, if she's still here. But it was as simple as that. And then we get out of the way and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. There's this kindness. There's this, there's this intentionality. There's this awareness. It's called opportunal living. Everywhere I go, I'm not talking about going across the world. I'm not talking about moving. I'm talking about the situations that you are currently in, reevaluating the opportunity that God has given you, and then understanding and seeing it differently. Being aware, being intentional, and being kind. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we wrap this up? I want nothing more nothing more than for God to work through this church. I I, I truly believe that a faith that is not sent ultimately is a dying faith. One of my favorite passages in scripture that I recite often as we do this altar time is in the book of Romans. And it says this, this is kind of a, a summary of it. It says, 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I love that part. I love that it includes everyone. It doesn't say, you know, these certain people, they can, they can have a relationship with God. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every person you come into contact with at all of our campuses. But a few verses down, it says, it says, how can they know if they're not preached to? And how can they be preached to if someone's not sent? And then it ends with saying this. I love this verse. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who are sent to bring good news. That's you and me. See, we get that first for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. But then there's this, this, this job. It says, we, we got to go preach to them. We preach to them when we know we're sent to them. In other words, when you leave here today and you say amen, church is not over for you. Church is not something you come to. This is a Sunday morning experience. That's why we called it that. We experience the presence of God. We get filled up with his power and we go live for his glory. We are sent to this world. We've been saying the same things for, for 10 years now. We will say the same things until Jesus comes back. We are sent. And until every person in every city, in every town, in every school, in every culture knows Jesus Christ, we won't stop. That's why we're here. We know the significance of it. What is it? Sharing something we love with someone we love. Why? Why? Because everyone has sinned, falls short of the glory of God. Bob says the wages of sin is death and hell, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For anyone. For if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, was put in a tomb, and on the third day rose in power, that you would be saved. That everyone needs that message and anyone can receive it in any situation with any addiction in any mistakes in any bondage in whatever you brought into this place one moment with God can change everything so before we leave I think that's why the church exists I think there's two people in this room there's people that are saved and that means that they've given their life to Jesus Christ they're not perfect people uh, they've messed up they've fallen short of the glory of God but they live their life under the grace of God and there's other people that you are living your life under the weight of sin and the weight of sin is that you carry around the shame and the burden and the baggage you try to make things right you hide you run you live in darkness and you don't have to anymore and the only difference between me and you is I bent my knee and I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior I realize I can't live life like this. I don't want to live life like this. I need to live under the grace of God. And so even now in my life, the Bible says where sin increases, when I mess up, that the grace of God increases all the more. That I live with the understanding that God loves me more than I can imagine. That he sent his son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That I live right now with purpose and meaning. That I long for eternity. That I don't fear death that I'm ready to meet Jesus, not because I'm a good person, but because I'm a saved person. So I live a life full of freedom and hope. And listen to me, I want nothing more, nothing more than for you at all of our campuses, if you don't know him, for you to experience that same Jesus. There's two ways to live today. You can live under grace, or you can live under shame. And you don't have to. 
You don't have to live under it. The Bible says that Jesus, the words of Christ, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't carry it anymore. Don't carry the weight of your past. Don't carry the weight of your sin. Come to Jesus right now. Give him your sin. Give him your pain. Give him your shame. Let him save you. Let him rescue you. Let him redeem you. So here's what we do. Nobody's looking around in this moment. There's somebody standing at every campus just like I am. Plymouth Meeting, Montgomeryville, Royersford, Limerick. There's somebody online right now. Piper is moderating online right here in Phoenixville. I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment. There's Christians here living under grace, praying for their life, praying for a productive week, asking God to give them outside eyes, make them aware, live intentional, be kind, all those things we talked about. And there's somebody else in this place that you would say, you know what, I'm not a Christian. And what that means is I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I carry around the weight of my past and my sin. But I don't want to anymore. Today I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm not going to make you come forward. And I'm not going to call you out. But I am going to ask you to take one bold step. And the reason I do this is this is essentially a a, a line in the sand moment. When you go, you know what? This is a day that I'm never going to be the same again. I'm never turning back. And so when I ask you in a second, I'm saying, that's you. You need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior without worried about who's to your right or left, without overthinking it. The Spirit of God is working in my life. He's drawing me to Him. I want you to respond by quickly just shooting your hand straight up in the air. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to pray a short prayer. Jesus, come into my life. And I believe in this moment, September 29, 2019, this is going to be a moment that changes all other moments of your life. And so if that's you all over these houses, you say, hey, that's me, Pastor Steve. I need to give my life to Christ. I'm not living under grace. I'm living under shame. I need to give up my past, my present, and my future. Today's my day. If that's you all over these houses, begin to shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. I see hand right here. Yes, anybody else? Hey, pastor, that's me. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ right now. I'm not living with shame. I'm not living in baggage under the weight of my past. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to become a brand new person. Come on, let's continue to pray in this house. Let's continue to respond all over our campuses. Hey, there's somebody in Royersford right now. Let's let's clap for that person. Come on, we're going to wait just a few more seconds. In Montgomeryville and Limerick and Plymouth meeting, we're going to continue to wait, and then we're going to pray together, and we're going to rejoice with heaven. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your word. Lord, it always changes us. Lord, it changes those that have been in church for years. Lord, it impacts and changes those that have maybe heard this for the very first time. But thank you for moving in very specific, special, unique way. Thank you for changing people's lives. And here, here's what they're praying, those that raise their hand. They're just praying, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe in you. I know you died for my sins. And I know you rose from the dead. And now I want to put my life in you, my past, present, and my future. I want to receive what you did for me as a gift, that I know that I'm a sinner, that I know I've fallen short of the glory of God, and I, own, I know the only way to have my sins forgiven is through you, Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, today I'm a brand new person. I'm a brand new person. The old me is dead. There's a new person that's alive. I'm going to leave this place in victory and hope and peace and in love. And we are grateful for all that you've done here. But, Lord, it's not over. Lord, we are a sent church. Lord, I know there's so many, so much stuff happens in church, Lord, that has no eternal value. But, Lord, we know why we're here. We're here to change this world. We're here to impact our work. We're here to impact our families. Lord, we're here to impact our schools. And, Lord, we leave this place with opportunity in front of us. Let us be aware of it. Let us be intentional. And, God, let them say this about our church. I don't care if they say we're the smartest church. I don't care if they say we're the, we're the most uh, 
excellent church, Lord. I don't care what they say about us, but let, let this be one thing that comes from people's mouths. That's a kind church. Those are a kind people because we know it's kindness, your kindness, that leads people towards repentance. So we love you, and we're grateful for all that you've done and all that you're going to continue to do as we head out into this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, church, one more time. Would you shout amen with me? Come on, let's clap. Somebody else responded in roars, but let's make a big old shout for that. Yeah.